Welcome to Life Source Church. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or SoundCloud. Today you're going to hear a message from Pastor Walt that we hope encourages you. Well, good morning. It's great to see all of you here. It's always an encouragement to me. I have a question for you today. What is your purpose for living? What's your purpose for living? Why are you here and what are you devoting yourself to? Because whatever you see as your purpose for living is what you will devote your energy and your intellect and your resources toward. So what is your purpose for living? And if we went out and asked a whole bunch of people this question, we'd get answers like, you know, well, it's, it, it's about your health. You got to have your health, right? And so they're all about health and making sure that they're eating right and exercising and taking care of their health. And that is their, it becomes their purpose for living. Uh, some people would say, well, it's family. It's their relationships, right? It's my, my husband, my wife, my kids, my grandkids, especially the grandkids. And, and this becomes a, a person for living. And that means you're going to devote your time, your energy, your resources toward that relationship. Some people would obviously think of their purpose in life with respect to their career, because maybe, you know, their whole life they envisioned they wanted to be something and do something, and they've devoted themselves to that, and that's what they're uh, focusing on. All of their decisions in life are made on the basis of, well, how will this affect my career path and where I'm going? Uh, for some people, we know it's money, right? It's, it's the acquisition of money and the acquisition of possessions and because and, they're, they're gaining some sense of security and significance out of that. And so they devote themselves to that. For some people, we would say that they, they, their purpose of living is their hobbies, right? They work so they can do their hobby. And, and everything is planned around that. You know, they want to be the best golfer, the best fisherman, the best whatever. And that's, that's what they live for, in essence. And we'd go on down the list. I'm sure we'd find lots of interesting answers. But there is a right answer. And not that all those other things don't have a place. They do. But they aren't the answer. There is a right answer. And the right answer, very closely connected to what we looked at last week. So we began this sermon series entitled Owned, that we are owned by God. And last week we talked about that we are his possession. We, okay, in other words, he... He purchased us. He bought us. In fact, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, it said these words we saw. You are not your own. Why? Because you were bought for a price. The Lord Jesus Christ, remember coming, living that perfect and sinless life, dying in our place for our sins. And in so doing, not only did he provide us forgiveness, eternal life, but he purchased us. The word redeem means to buy back. And so, you know, we had gone astray, every one of us. And he has purchased us with his blood and brought us back into relationship with him. And then we, so we talked about Romans 14, 8, where it says, for, for if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we what? We are the Lord's. And so between living and dying and everything in between, we are God's. Now, so if we understand this, that he has purchased us, we are his possessions, we belong to him, we are his. There are certain things that logically flow out of that. But one of the things that does not logically flow out of that is saying, 
well, I don't really care. <laughs> okay? Or, I'm, I, okay, that's good, but I'm going to do this. I'm devoting myself to this instead. And, and I don't know that we're always so brazen, right? We aren't always so, oh, I don't care what you say, God. I'm going to do what I want to do. No, no, we, we figure out how to rationalize that, right? And, and, and make it look good so we can feel okay about it. But nonetheless, we go our way, do our own thing. Now, way back in the Old Testament, God challenged the, his people, the people of Israel, as he was working in them and through them in our world. And, and uh, he challenges them when they're saying, just what I'm saying, they, they began to live for something else. And so in Deuteronomy chapter 32, the Lord says, Do you thus deal with the Lord, O foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father who, what, bought you? Has he not made you and established you? So when, when we forget that, that we have been bought by the Lord, that we belong to him, he, and, and we approach life without that being at the top, how, he describes us, what, are, what kind of people are we? That's foolish. Okay? It's unwise. Because when we think about what God did and the price that he paid for us, his only son, having to bear all of my sin and all of your sin, all the sins of the whole world, doing that so that we could be forgiven and have eternal life and enter into a relationship where we can call him Father. He's done all of that for us. There's only one logical conclusion. And that's what we saw last week as well in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. So it says, therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's, because you belong to him. Glorify him. So the conclusion last week, as God's possession, your whole life should glorify him. Okay, and we, we'll talk, we talked about what that means. We're going to talk more about what that means in a little bit. So as God's possession, your whole life should glorify him. That's when we thought about, okay, we belong to him. We are his possession. This is the logical conclusion then. So we go back and revisit the question. What is your purpose for living? And you start thinking, okay, what am I actually living for? How would I know? I would know because I devote my time, my energy, my mental energy, my emotional energy. I, I devote my resources, right? What am I, what would that show that my purpose in life really is? And how does that line up? So today's sermon, we're talking about being not only his possessions, but it's about then his purposes in our life. So when we consider this idea of, you know, what is our purpose in life? We've already seen, okay, we should be glorifying God with our lives. How does this look in our purpose? Well, when we start thinking about our purpose, you know, I go uh, um, way back in, in, in the early 2000s, and uh, uh, Rick Warren wrote his book, The Purpose Driven Life. But the very first chapter, the very first line in the very first chapter, when he begins talking about the purpose that God has for us, he says this. He says, it's not about you. Well, I don't know how I, do I, wait a minute, shouldn't it be about me? Don't I like it? Do we ever live like it's about us? 
Do you ever live in your relationships like it's about you? you ever, right, we, we tend to, that's a tendency. But the challenge right up front when we start to understand that, wait a minute, I belong to God, my life is to glorify Him, what then is my purpose? Okay, my purpose is not about me and what I want. Although God is gonna work in our lives to where it will be what we want. It's good news there. And so we said, your life purpose is to glorify God. How do we glorify God? by allowing him to be seen in our lives. Let's just do a quick review on that. You remember we said, what is, how much of God is glorious? Not a trick question. How much? All, everything about him is glorious. So if you could just even look at one aspect of God, would that would be glorious? Right, okay. So we can't add to his glory. He is fully glorious, but we can let his glory be seen in us. And when we live in certain ways and believe certain things and, and act or don't, we'll talk more about that, then he can be seen in us. And when he is seen as us, he is glorified. So your life purpose then is to glorify God by allowing him to be seen in your life. I wanna challenge you here. This is a, a, you know, we say it's not about you, but this is a hard truth. And, and here's what you need to understand. If you live for anything else, your life will be wasted. Anything else? I don't know about you, that, that's kind of troubling to me because I look back at times and places in my life where on this basis I wasted my life. I wasted that day, those hours, those weeks, maybe those months even, right? I think we can all go back and see that. But what we, that isn't what we want. Not as a believer in Jesus Christ, None of us wants to get to the end of our lives and look back and say, you know, when we stand with Jesus and look at our life, and he, he says, well, that was a waste. You know, I, I want my life to count, so do you. All right, so if we say, I don't want to waste my life, then we have to get a hold of this. That I guess we have to get a hold of is that God's got a hold of us. We belong to him, and so there are, for our purpose is to glorify him allowing him to be seen in our lives. And if you live for anything else, you are wasting your life. All right, let's go to the word of God and, and, and uh, begin to dig into this. Romans chapter eight. If I said Romans chapter eight to you, many of you would think immediately of uh, verse 28 and, and how God works in our lives. We're gonna talk about that today. Um, in Romans chapter eight, what's happened in Romans chapter six, God has talked about um, the, how God has dealt with our sin problem and, and our, our sinful nature and what we need to believe. Chapter seven talks about the realities of our lives and the struggles that are there. By the way, if you struggle with sin, that's a good sign. Say, so wait a minute, I don't wanna have sin in my life. I, I, I didn't, I'm not, we, we don't wanna have sin in our lives, but the fact that we don't want to have sin in our lives, and the fact that we struggle with that issue is a good sign. Most likely it means the Holy Spirit lives within you, okay? Because people who say, ah, I don't care, they don't have that relationship. All right, so, but chapter seven talks about the struggle, and chapter eight begins to talk about, listen, in Christ we have this, this victory, in Christ he's sufficient, we can grow, we can make progress, all those kinds of things. So let's go down to verse number 26. And by the way, a few verses earlier, he says, it'll be worth it. It's good to remember. It says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes, 
intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. All right, so that's good news, isn't it? Do you always know how to pray? I gotta be honest with you, there's times I don't know how to pray, and I guess I know how to pray at that point because I tell God, God, I don't know how to pray here. <laughs> I don't know what to say. I'm not, uh, you know, I said everything I know to say, and it's not based on what I say anyway, but you get the idea. Sometimes we don't know what to pray for, but the Holy Spirit then prays for us. He prays for us in ways that we could never put into words. Okay? And it's even better than that. If, if we went to 1 John in chapter 5 and, and looked at it, there's some verses there that talk about the assurance of our relationship with Christ. And then it says this. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly how it starts. But it says this, that we, have, that we have this confidence in him, that if we ask anything according, do you know what it says? According to his will, he hears us. And if he hears us, we know that we have the petitions we desire. In other words, if we actually pray according to the will of God, he works and answers. We don't always know what the will of God is, do we? And when we don't know, and by the way, even if we're wrong about it, the Holy Spirit <laughs> and, you know, we don't, I don't want to be, um, what's the word? I don't want to take the holy things lightly or anything, but I think it's kind of like this, that there might be times I go to God and I pray. I'm convinced, right? God, I just, I really believe this is your will, and, and I pray for it. And the Holy Spirit says, no, okay, Father, I know, I know. Just don't listen to him right now. Here's what <laughs> he really wants to pray for, Right? So he prays for us, and this is what it says, verse 27. Now he who searches the hearts, that's God the Father, knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he, the Spirit, makes intercession for the saints, that's us, according to what? The will of God. And this is the confidence that we have in him. Prayer offered in the will of God gets answered. And so while my prayer may or may not hit the mark, the Holy Spirit's prayers hit the mark. And it's about God's will. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about God and what his will is, what his purposes are. Okay, you see that? All right. So God is already, he's working to bring about his will, his purposes in our lives. Verse 28, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. Let's just, we're going to elaborate more on this in a minute, but let's just stop here for just a moment. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. All things work out together for good. Now, we have a tendency to define for ourselves what good is. Right? I mean, we just do. This, this would be a good outcome. And, and then it sometimes, maybe often, doesn't go that way. Is this verse not true then? What I was convinced was good doesn't happen? No, in other words, who, who gets to define what's good? God does. Now, this, this is flowing out of last week because I mentioned to you that, that sometimes people struggle with this idea of I'm his possessions and I feel like, well, God's not doing a very good job of taking care of his possession because of the situation I find myself in or because of what has happened to me in my life. And, and by the way, 
Do people sometimes experience terrible things in life? Terrible, bad, evil things happen to people. And so people say, well, if I'm his possession, why would he let this happen? Okay, so there's two, appro- two, two aspects to this answer, okay? One is an intellectual answer, and it's a good answer and a right answer. It's not very emotionally satisfying, okay? And so we'll talk about the emotional aspect of the answer in a minute. But intellectually is this. It's very simple. If we go back in the beginning, God creates Adam and Eve, and he gives them the freedom to choose to obey God or disobey God. Okay, and they chose to disobey God. And I think if we had been in their place, we probably would have done the same. They chose to disobey God. And what came into the world? All of the sin, all of the suffering, death itself came into the world. Everything that leads up to that. I mean, it's a terrible mess. And yet God allowed them that freedom to choose. It tells me a couple things. One is that freedom is important. If God felt freedom was that important. Now, uh, the second thing that this means, the reason he gave us freedom is because if we aren't free to choose, can we love? Can you love without being free to choose? So if, if we could have this robot that, you know, we programmed and, and we programmed it to love, and so, you know, I bring, bought one and bring it home, and it loves me. It talks so nice to me. It does nice things for me. It loves me. Does that robot love me? Does it? No, it's just a machine going through the motions that the machine goes through. And if God had not given us the freedom to choose, he made us do that, then that is what we would have done, right? We wouldn't have been able to love either. We wouldn't have been able to love him. We wouldn't have been able to love each other. There'd been no relationship. It's just all cogs in a machine. And it isn't that way. See, God granted us freedom to choose. Now, because he grants people freedom to choose, and, and people sometimes choose good, but sometimes they choose poorly. They choose badly. They make evil choices. And what happens? People get hurt, don't they? Bad things happen. Okay? And so... This is the intellectual answer that, that the idea is God has allowed that freedom and what comes from it because this ability to love and to respond to love really matters. It matters to him. And I would say to you that it really is what makes and drives our lives in so many ways. All right. So it was important that people be able to choose, which means people get hurt. Now, On the other side of this, then when we look at this, and it says here that we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to those who love God. I believe that's people who have come to know Jesus as Savior. And and God has called them. He has a purpose for them in their lives. He says, all things work together for good. And we're going to see what that good is here in just a minute. But the point is this. Yes, so you have been hurt and hurt terribly. And you've been hurt in ways that, that I can only understand intellectually. I haven't experienced, right? And maybe I've been hurt in some ways you don't fully grasp. But, but yes, you've been terribly hurt. But the good news is, you know Jesus is Savior. 
With all those hard things, God is going to redeem them. He's not going to waste them. None of those things, if you're not, he's going to take them and use them to accomplish good in your life. You understand? I'm not saying he, he didn't make those things, oh, I'm going to make you suffer so I can make you good. No. But we do suffer. Because sin and evil in the world. And God says, I am going to redeem that in your life. If there's no God at work, what hope do you have? There is no redemption of those bad things, is there? They are forever bad. But God says, no, I'm going to use these things and work in your life and show you. Okay? All right. So let's continue here with this idea of our purpose. So verse 28 says, he is, he is, um, we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And what we're going to see is this good that God is working to is his purpose in our lives. It, you know, my good would be that, hey, I'd like to somehow rather come up with some more money. And God says, well, I think the good I want in your life is my purpose. You get the idea? That our good, well, I don't think I should have to suffer this. And God said, well, no, I have a different good thing I'm working on, a better. It's my purpose in your life. So what is your purpose? So this is what he says. I'm going to work it all together. Verse 20, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called, whom he called, these he also justified, whom he justified, these he also glorified. Okay? Now, back in verse 29, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined. Verse 30, moreover, whom he predestined. And, and if you're like me and you hear that, anybody got little warning bells and whistles going off in your head saying, what? What do you mean predestined? Are you telling me that God, you know, so, so let's consider, let's just, all right, so when I plan a sermon, you know, I plan as the beginning and logic, hopefully logic flow to get to the main point of what the Bible's saying and trying to apply it and understand it. And every now and then, like I got to do right now, I'm going to say, okay, between here and here, we're going to put a parenthesis in this sermon and I'm going to snatch this out and we're going to talk about this separate and then we're coming back to the sermon. The only reason I do this is because I don't want you sitting here going, what? Because you won't even hear the rest of what I'm saying if you think of this predestined. So let's talk about predestined, okay? What people usually, they hear the word predestined and here's what they think. They think this, someone's predestined to heaven or to hell, okay? Uh, they, they will be, God has determined ahead of time who will be saved and who will not be saved. They don't have any choice in the matter. God is doing it. He's predestined people. That's what people often think. But let's actually look at the verse. Now there's a thought, right? Let's look at the verse. If it's too small up here, you can see it in your Bible. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Whom he what? Whom he foreknew. Not whom he chose, but who he knew. So as God looks at all the possibilities, when, before God creates the world, God, could God look at, he says, if I create it this way and let it go, this is what will happen? Can he do that? And if I create this and I let go and allow freedom, this is what will happen. And if I do this and this, and he, he knows all of those, right? And he chose the way he chose. 
We read about it in, in Genesis. And it brings us to where we are today. So when God does that, does he look down the way and can he see, wow, that Dave Carl is going to believe and receive my son as Savior. That Bethany is, right? And I'm not leaving, trying to leave anybody out. <laughs> okay? Right? But did he know that? Did he know it? Sure he did. Did he, did he make you choose against your will? No. Did he prevent anybody from choosing? No. He knows. You know, just as surely as there's times in, in my life when I have looked at my kids, and, and when they were little especially, look here, and, and there's the cookie there, I know what's going to happen. Right? Did I make it happen? If, you know, if I don't intervene, I allow it to happen, don't I? Okay. So foreknowing for does not mean forcing or choosing. Okay? So what he's talking about here, he's not talking about this, the predestination. What he's talking about is this. He's talking about all who freely choose to respond to the gospel by believing will become like Jesus. Right? Isn't that what it says? For whom he foreknew, he also predestined. It doesn't say to heaven, does it? Doesn't say to hell. Doesn't say to eternal life. Doesn't say, it says, for whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So when it's talking about predestination here and whom he predestined, it only applies to people who choose to believe. Now, do you feel lost? Hopefully not, and I'll be glad to talk with you afterwards about it. But so when he's talking about predestined here, he's talking about his good purpose in his life, this good that he's working toward in our lives. And he says this, that everybody who, who receives my son as savior, everyone who comes and, and chooses to respond to the gospel and believe, when they make that choice and that decision and they are born again, I now predestine them to become like my son. Is that, is that clear? That makes sense? So that's what this is about. Now, I want you to think about this then for a minute. If this is God's purpose, which we're going to see, that we would become like his son, how much does it matter to God that that happens? Enough that he did what? Predestined it to be so. It's going to happen. Now, let's look at why. What's, what's, what's the deal here? Verse 29 again. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Okay, this is not bringing Jesus down. This is bringing us up. Okay, uh, but he wants us to be brothers, like younger brothers and sisters to Jesus. Now, have you ever known anybody with a, a pretty large family and when you get around them, you can tell their family? Now they're different, right? This brother's different from that one, this sister's different from that one, but yet in some ways they're very much alike. That's what Jesus wants to do with us, okay? Bring us in and work in our lives and shape our lives so much that, yeah, we're still us, we're still unique, we're the individuals he created us to be, but yet we have become so much like Jesus that there's this resemblance that is undeniable and it can be seen in us. And so when we you know, all go to heaven, there will be that family resemblance, but he wants us to become like his son. We're gonna talk more about what that means in just a minute. 
Again, it matters so much to God. He knows who's going to be saved. He says, okay, everyone who's saved, I'm predestining. And then he calls us, it says. That's that where he brings the gospel to us. And when we believe, he justifies us. That means he makes it just as though we had never sinned because Jesus takes that penalty. And then it says he glorifies us. All of these words are a grammar lesson, Sunday morning, warning, uh, 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 grammar lesson. For those of you who hate grammar, that's what that warning was for. What tense are these words in, these verbs? For new, predestined, called, justified, glorified. Past tense. That's because from God's perspective, it's a done deal. Settled. Going to happen. All right. So it's, that's important to God. So he wants us to become like his son. And that's what we've been predestined to. So when we look at this idea of becoming like Jesus, we see two things. First, there's a present potential. In other words, can you and I become more like Jesus today? This is not one of my trick questions. Can you and I become more like Jesus today? Yes, and by Jesus, I'll, I'll, we'll go over in a minute, but I don't mean you're going to have, you're going to become omnipotent, <laughs> right, or all-knowing. I don't mean that, something else. But there is the potential for us to grow today, to become more like Jesus today. But there is also, based on what we read, there is a future certainty that we will be like Jesus. Wherever we're at, when this life comes to an end, he's going to... I, I was thinking that he's going to finish the work in one sense. I, I got a feeling that throughout all, all eternity we'll continue to learn and grow. And, but it won't be in this context of a sinful world. Yeah, amen. Whoever said that. You, you Dave? Yeah, no kidding. Um, but so it's both of these things. There's a present potential and there's a future certainty. Uh, and the scripture says, we are, Philippians 1, being confident of this very thing, that he who what? Who, who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. He's, he started the work. He's going to finish it. You got saved. He predestined you. He's going to bring that about. Okay? In uh, Psalm uh, 17, the psalmist, it's interesting. This is before Jesus came and all this, but it says, as for me, I will see your face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake in what? In your likeness. See, that's coming for us. Uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, he who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. He's going to do what he's promised to do. This is good news for us. All right, so this idea of potential, uh, present potential and future certainty. Future certainty is out of our control, isn't it? Right? I mean, do you have any control over what's going to happen to you the moment after you die? Nope. None at all. That's what God is doing. doing. But here, we are part of it. In the, the present potential, this is where we live. And this is where today we can become more like Jesus. Okay? So let's go back and revisit this the thought process here. Your life purpose is to glorify God by allowing him to be seen in your life. Because if you see God, you see his glory. He's being glorified. We want him to be seen in our lives. All right, so how do we do that? Well, God will be glorified. He'll be seen in your life as you become more and more like Jesus. Now, doesn't that make sense? What does God look like in human form? How would you know? He'd look like what? 
like Jesus. That's right. So the more I begin to look like Jesus, the more he is seen, the more he is glorified. Okay, so I'm fulfilling that purpose in my life. And so we can say this is like a math equation. A plus B equals B plus C, but A equals C, or A, whatever. I don't think that worked, but you know what I mean. Your life purpose then is to become like Jesus. You got lots of stuff you got to do in life, but the overarching purpose for all of it is that you would become like Jesus. And guess what? God works all things together in your life for that good. You think it's a good thing to become like Jesus? So God works in your life to help you become more and more like Jesus. This is his purpose that he's called you to. Well, yes, right? Can we all just say yes to that? Yes. But that's the question. How? Right? How do we do that? Well, let's just move through a progression of thought here. Okay? And remember, if we don't do this, we um, are wasting our lives. So let's go to the becoming like Jesus. All right, so we want to become like Jesus. And I, I put four things here that I think that captures most everything. Is we want to become like him in our hearts, in our minds, in our attitudes, in our actions. Our hearts speak to that which we really, really love and our deepest motivation comes from. So in our hearts, we want our, our, our love and our motivation to become more and more like Jesus. Our minds is you know, what we believe and how we look at things and understand things. We want to have that more and more match the way Jesus sees things. And our attitudes, those are our disposition toward life and how we express it, our attitudes. We want those to become more like Jesus. And then our actions. This is, you know, what we do, what we don't do. What we say, what we don't say. How we do what we do or don't do. You know, how we say what we say or don't. I mean, okay, so it's, it's all the expression of it out here in our actions. And so we want to become more like Jesus in these things. If we are going to do that, we must commit ourselves, devote ourselves, and pursue consistently this a cycle that we have to go through, okay? So let's start with it. We're going to start by engaging with God, okay, about these things. How are we going to engage with God? Well, we're going to talk to him, right? God, I want to become more like your son. I want to be the person that you want me to be. And we're going to open up his word and we're going to spend time in it, trying to understand it, trying to think what does it mean in my life? Uh, saying, asking God to help us, talking with him about this and saying, wow, in my life, here's my life, here's this. Working that out, you're engaging with God and then letting him shape you. Let him shape your heart. Let him shape your mind. Let him shape your intention and your attitudes and, and the actions that you intend to take. All right. All well and good. Now we go out into the real world, don't we? And we engage with the world. Okay, so this is what we're doing. And the world, does that ever impact you? Does it affect you? It's where you got to live, isn't it? And so you go, whoa, wow, wait a minute. And you kind of start rethinking some of this stuff. Not doubting God, but you're rethinking it. And so now... You're thinking and your life is being shaped by that, which now leads you to re-engage with God. 
You understand the cycle here, right? We engage with God about things. We seek to have him shape us. We go to the world and try to live these things out, and that shapes us. And then we engage with God again, and we just, every day, sometimes every moment. Sometimes we may be looking longer term, but we're engaging with God about these things. So let's just take a look at this in these four areas, uh, heart, mind, um, attitudes, and actions. And let's just take mind. Just mind, and let's look at this a little bit, okay? So, I don't know if you can read those. Is that too small for you to read? Can you read this? Well, I'll read them anyway. So, we engage with God, and we read in Philippians 2, where it says, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, God, I want to have the mind of Christ. I want to see the world the way you do. I want to, you know, my logic to be there. I want the view of the, how things work, I, I, I want your mind. And, and so you're trying your best to get that from the, from the word and it's shaping you. And, and then you read, okay, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a servant. You say, okay, I'm gonna go out there today or this week or this year or whatever and I'm gonna live this way. Uh, you know, I'm not gonna make it be about me. It's not about my reputation. I'm gonna go out and be a servant, have a servant's heart. Go out and, and you know, care about people. And you go out into the world. And the world is a rough and tumble place, right? Boom, bang. This, oh, man, I didn't do so well there. Or th th something, the response, I didn't expect this. I don't know how to do this. And so you start rethinking, and so you're being shaped. Now, this is important on this side of the, the, this, because Romans 12 at the bottom here, and do not be conformed to this world. Okay, so I'm out in the world. Bang, it's happening. I'm living in here. And I'm trying to I don't set aside God's ways and adopt the world's. But I do say, okay, God, how do your ways work in this situation? And so that's shaping my thinking, which causes me to re-engage with God, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay, God, I need to see this differently. I need to see it your way. I need to understand. We engage with God, and then we go back out into the world, right? We, we go through this process. Spend time with God. By the way, we spend time with God we, by talking with him. We spend time with God by being in his word. Very important, we spend time with God as we spend time with his people. Because when I see what Jesus looks like in you, because you've grown somewhere, wow, that's encouraging to me. That's helpful to me. Okay, and so it, it's in prayer and in his word and with his people. And it's so important that we include that part. All right? So do you kind of get how this works? It's just in generalized. We have this, this cycle we're going to keep going through and keep working through because we're focusing on we want to what? Become like Jesus. What would God look like if he was me, a human being? Well, look at Jesus. That's what he would look like, okay? Now, let's just take a couple of quick examples. What about work then? Let's say I want to become like Jesus with respect to my work. What are we going to do? Well, so Ephesians 6, 5, and 6 talks about in work. It says, servants, be obedient in sincerity of heart, okay? So you, if you work for somebody, you say, what am I supposed to do? That's, I want to do what I'm supposed to do, and I want to do it with sincerity of heart, not right? With sincerity of heart. So I want to be real in this. That shapes, with shaping my thinking, shaping my choices, and then as I move out toward the world, says, as, you're going to do that? Not yet, Anthony. If you want to go back. Thank you. As to Christ doing the will of God from the heart. Okay, so I'm going out. I'm going out into the world now, and I'm going to do what God has said. I'm going to do it from my heart. And I engage with the world in my work setting and, and your work setting. 
And, and so, once again, the world is a rough and tumble place. Sometimes it's very hard. Sometimes things go really well. But whatever, we have these experiences, which then, how does that fit with this, what I'm learning? How does this fit with what's my, the motives in my heart and my, my thinking and my attitudes? How does this fit? And so we're being shaped. And then, uh, so, go ahead. We realize this, Colossians 3, it says, whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men. Okay, wait, that's helpful. Because when I did this for these people, they didn't appreciate it at all. I just think I'm not going to do it next time. Well, wait a minute. No, no, no. Don't do it like you're doing it for them. Do it like you're doing it for him. Oh, that's a different ballgame, isn't it? And so he continues to reshape our thinking. What we learn is this, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the word, the reward, for you serve the Lord. Okay? I'm serving people, yes, servants, heart, and all that, but yet, really, I'm serving the Lord. Okay. And so we've engaged with God, and we do that, and we keep working through this process. And hopefully, and not hopefully, guaranteed, if we do this, we will become more and more like Jesus in our workplace, in our work setting. Let's look at one more. Parenting, okay? If you have kids. Deuteronomy 6, 6, 7, we engage with God. We're in his word. We're learning from his people. We see this, and these words shall be in your heart, okay? What God has said needs to be in my heart. And then it shapes my mind, my thinking. And he says, teach them diligently to your children. Okay, I got to teach my children the truth about God. You know, from his word and the truth about their lives, all this kind of stuff I want to teach them. And so then you engage with the world. The world, in this case, is your children, <laughs> Right? And so you're engaging with them. And I guarantee you that everything you have figured out about your kids will all of a sudden become challenged when you try to do it. Okay? And so we, we come on around. We experience. Ephesians 6, 4 says, do not provoke your children to wrath. And you said, why not? They provoke me to wrath. Right? I said, no, no, no. You don't want to do that. So you're being affected. You're being shaped. And then you... But bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. Okay, I need to keep doing that. Don't, I need to respond in ways that doesn't cause the problem, but helps to bring a solution to the problem. And so I re-engage with God, and I keep doing this day in and day out, day in and day out. And as I do that, and as you do that, we can be guaranteed that along the way, we will become more like Jesus. And the blessing here is that most likely, so will your kids. Okay? But do you understand how this works? Now, we might say, well, this is all cookie cutter. Then we all got the same thing. We're all going to be the same way. We're all going to be little Jesuses running around. No, that isn't the way it goes. Let's look at the next slide here. You have abilities that are unique to you. I mean, right? God has put you together like nobody else. And that's a good thing. Don't think that's a bad thing. Okay? You, you have the body, nobody else has yours, your opportunities, your work, money, marriage, parenting, friendships, church relationships, whatever uh, else. This is, all these things are unique to us. And so I, as I become like Jesus, I become like Jesus the way Walt was made to be like Jesus. And nobody else can be like that. And same with you. And that means that when I interact with you, there is something there that I can learn about being like Jesus, about what God is like, about how he works, that I can only learn from you, from nobody else. Wow, does our relationships with other people start to take on 
bigger, newer meaning? Yeah, big time. Now, you cannot possibly do this if you are not making a consistent effort to be in God's word. You cannot possibly do this if you aren't engaging with God and saying, oh God, I want to become like your son. I want the, it's not the specific words, right? It's what's going on in, in your heart here. But I want to, to become what you want me to be. And, and you're talking to him from his word and then you talk to him about the specific situations of life. You see how the, all of a sudden it's not about, I have to say my prayers. Don't say your prayers ever again. Talk to God. Engage with God about your life and, and how do I become who you want me to be. But if you aren't doing that consistently, and really you're also robbing yourself if you are not consistently connecting with the people of God. More than just where you guys are all sitting looking this way and I'm standing looking this way. You know, with each other. You need to do that because that's one of the ways God is going to grow you. All right. We are his possessions. And that means his purposes should be our purposes. If you've never received Christ as Savior, as I talked about earlier, it's got to start there. All right? And we'd love to help you with that. And as always, anything I've said, anything I've talked about that you have questions about or feel free. I, I really, really, one of the ways God made me is to love to hear those questions and interact with you about them. And together we become more like Jesus. Father, we come to thank you for your word. Thank you that you have predestined those of us who know you to become like your son and not some cookie cutter way, Lord, but in a very real way that you have created us individually and unique. And yet even in that, we can become like your son. And I pray, Father, you'd stir our hearts and not let us. Oh God, please just Forgive us if in any way, point in time, we just say, ah, it doesn't matter. Remind us, Father, it does matter and matters forever. Thank you for us being able to get together and look at your word like this. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, go out and glorify the Lord. Let him be seen in your life this week. All right. <laughs>